0: Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 11, verse 17 through 44. This is the word of God. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound then with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer once more. Father, we thank you so much for this time where we can come together as your people to worship you and to praise you, and to honor and to glorify you. Father, I pray and ask humbly that as we delve into this passage together, would you speak to us? May our hearts be encouraged as we are once again reminded that you are the resurrection and the life. And as we think critically and deeply about what that means for us here and now, as we continue to live in this broken world, Father, would you to show us how um, we continue to all to, to live in this world um, as your witnesses. So we commit this time to you. Thank you. And in Christ let me pray. Amen. It's been already one year since uh, Shine and I came to NCF. And I remember our first official Sunday was the first Sunday of February 2016 and can't believe that it's already been one year um went really fast but we're um, nevertheless so uh grateful to be here humbled to be here uh just wanted to say thank you so much for all the love and support and encouragement uh that you have shown to to me and my family for the past year and we are really looking forward to to continuing to do ministry together in the upcoming years and continuing to you know growing up together in the gospel And doing amazing things for God's kingdom, um, not only in this area, and also in the areas that God will continue to call us to to go. So, just wanted to to start off by saying that. Thank you so much for um, loving us and encouraging us for the past year. Um, This morning, uh, we will be taking a careful look at John chapter. Um, 11 verses 1 through 44, obviously, we, as we have just read, this is a passage regarding the raising of Lazarus. And as we delve into this passage together, I would like for us to consider three things. Number one, what it reveals. Number two, what it foreshadows. And number three, what it guarantees. Let's jump into our first point together, what it reveals. You know, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they had an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And as this passage reminds us, Jesus also loved them very, very much. But when their beloved brother Lazarus uh, got, great, got really sick, Martha and Mary intentionally reaches out to Jesus for his help. Verse 3, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But I want you to draw your attention to Jesus' response. Notice how Jesus responds after hearing about Lazarus that he is gravely ill verses five and six now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus so when he heard that Lazarus was ill he stayed two days longer in the place where he was but the question we need to ask ourselves is this what is going on here didn't Jesus love Lazarus But then he decided to stay two extra days instead of dropping everything and going to Lazarus immediately to minister to him, to help him, to keep him from dying. I mean, here you would expect Jesus to literally drop everything and go to Lazarus, right? I mean, in this particular situation, that's what love would look like. In this particular situation, that's how love should look like but surprisingly jesus doesn't do that what does jesus do instead he stays two days longer in the place where he was he waits until lazarus dies now isn't it ironic why did jesus stay why did jesus let lazarus die how is his love Why is this love? I want you to hold that thought as we continue to move along through this passage. Now, in light of what is taking place here, I would like to ask you the following questions. What is love? How would you define what love is? If you're actually having a hard time understanding how is this love and why is this love, don't worry because you're not alone. I'm sure many of you at this point are feeling uneasy and uncomfortable right now, trying to figure out how is this love and why is this love. And if Jesus really loved Lazarus, why did he stay two extra days? Why did he let Lazarus die? Love doesn't look like this. Love shouldn't look like this. I think the reason why this doesn't make sense for many of us is because of our own definition of Love. If I were to ask you how would you define love, I'm sure many of you will be able to tell me what love is in your own words and paint a picture of what love ought to look like, and be able to differentiate what is love and what is not love. You know, this was a really rough week for for me and Shine, especially Shine, because this past Sunday uh, we received a message from one of Shine's younger sisters who's. Um, in the Philippines right now, that her father um, collapsed and was, was gravely ill. And we had obviously had no idea what was going on. We were just desperately waiting for updates from Shine's sister. But thankfully, she was able to, to go to him and, and take care of him and was able to bring him to the nearest hospital where the medical professionals, um, they did whatever they can to, to um, stabilize his condition. And thankfully, they were able to figure out that he had been exposed to dengue fever. And we were anxious uh, when we heard that he was struggling from dengue fever. And we weren't sure whether that uh, medical facility in that remote island um, had, it had you know, adequate um, equipment to be able to treat um, his, his condition. So we were really anxious and nervous. And there was, there was a point where we were frantically looking through plane tickets. Just in case, if things become worse, I mean, we were willing to drop everything and, and go. I mean, at least Shine, she should drop everything and go and be by, hers, by his side and, and do whatever it takes to help him recover from this, right? I mean, that's what love should look like in this particular situation. I mean, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how does our own definition of love affect the way we see what love really is from this passage? I do believe that our own definition of love and limited understanding of what love is to us actually keeps us from seeing Jesus as loving in this passage. Why? He let Lazarus die. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to let you know Shine's father is doing better in case you're wondering. Um, I didn't mention that at the end he's recovering and is in, currently in a stable condition. So if you can uh, continue to keep him in your pr- prayers, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, now concerning this passage, John, pa- John Piper writes this. What Jesus is about to do here does not feel like love to most people. Very few human beings think of love this way. Nobody thinks of love this way apart from the spirit of God changing our hearts to see what love really is in this text do not measure God's love for you by how much health wealth and comfort he brings into your life measure God's love for you by how much of himself he shows you and gives you to know and enjoy through it all now Jesus is showing us what love really is through this passage and I do believe that He is also shattering our own definition, and limited understanding of what love ought to look like. Now, to answer this question, why is this love, Warren Rearsby answers this question in the following manner, and I quote, God's love for for his own is not a pampering love. It is a perfecting love. The fact that he loves us and we love him is no guarantee that we will be sheltered from the problems and pains of life. After all, the father loves his son, and yet the father permitted his beloved son to drink the cup of sorrow and experience the shame and pain of the cross. We must never think that love and suffering are incompatible. Certainly they unite in Jesus Christ. Jesus could have prevented Lazarus' sickness or even healed it from where he was, but he chose not to. He saw in this uh, sickness an opportunity to glorify the father. It is not important that we Christians are comfortable... But it is important that we glorify God in all that we do. Here, Jesus let Lazarus die to accomplish two things. Number one, to reveal the glory of God, to reveal more of himself to Mary, Martha, and all who had been gathered there, the disciples, to let them be able to see that he is the resurrection and the life. Verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This is why he stayed two days extra. This is why he let Lazarus die so that they may be able to see his glory, that he is the resurrection and the life. The second thing that he accomplished by letting Lazarus die was to awaken and deepen the faith of his disciples. Verse 15, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, so that you may believe that I am the resurrection and the life. Herman Ritterboss, in his commentary to the Gospel of John, explains this further when he writes this. Jesus puts an end to all misunderstanding by now stating plainly, Lazarus is dead. He adds, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. With these words, the salvific character of Jesus' manifestation of glory again comes to expression. He starts out on the journey knowing that the time in which he is the light of the world is running out and that his return to Judea will hasten this end. But he goes not for the sake of his own glory but for the sake of the faith of his own. The delay serves to demonstrate the glory in all its splendor to them. Once more, before the night falls on him and on them and their faith in him is severely tested, He continues to delay because before manifesting his glory, he seeks to unite his disciples to him on a level deeper than can be achieved by removing their sorrow over Lazarus. Jesus deals pastorally with Martha in a way strongly reminiscent of the course of his earlier encounter with a royal official. There, too, a person in great personal distress turns to Jesus, and thereto, the miracle is delayed, as it were at stake in the encounter with Jesus is not just and not primarily that a man gets his deathly ill son back or a woman that uh, her dead brother. The life and resurrection of which Jesus speaks and that he imparts on more than that. It is this that the delay is designed to make us see. As you can see, Jesus did this in love for Mary, for Martha, and for his disciples and all who had been gathered there to mourn the death of beloved Lazarus, that they might know him more intimately, so that they might believe in him even more deeply. He let Lazarus die to reveal his glory, to reveal more of himself to them, to draw them closer to him, to awaken and deepen their faith and love for him, so that they will be able to see more clearly that Jesus is indeed the resurrection and the life. You know, as long as we are living in this broken world and as long as we are living on this side of heaven, we will continue to experience trials, seasons of pain and suffering. Now, if God reveals more of himself to you, if God reveals more of his glory to you through a season of pain and suffering, he loves you. If God awakens and deepens and strengthens your faith in him, your love for him, through a season of pain and suffering, he loves you. You know, as we are going through seasons of pain and suffering, because it is so intense, perhaps all we can see is the problem at hand. But sometimes that's how he loves us. And sometimes he allows us to go through seasons of pain and suffering to accomplish this in our own lives because perhaps there's no other way. Jump into our second point what it foreshadows. When Jesus arrived, Mary and Martha had been mourning the death of their beloved brother Lazarus for four days. And at this point, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And as we can see from this passage, Mary and Martha, I mean, they were shaken emotionally. They had to deal with the deep anguish of losing their beloved brother, Lazarus. Their hearts were filled with pain, sorrow, grief, and brokenness and despair. They were weeping and mourning the death of Lazarus. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she actually went out to him And she voices her frustration and disappointment at Jesus, which is mentioned in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She was discouraged. She was frustrated. She was angry. But notice what she says in verse 22. It's evidence of faith. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus comforts her by saying, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds by saying, yes, I know that on the last day, he will rise again. And then Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. And notice what she says in response in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Even in this moment of despair and brokenness, as she is grieving and mourning the death of her beloved brother, she still chooses to remain in Jesus. I mean, she's clearly having a hard time, difficult time, understanding why Jesus didn't come right away, why he let Lazarus die, but yet she still chooses to remain in Jesus. Now, when Jesus came into the village, Mary also went out to see him. She was also discouraged, frustrated, and angry. And she also voices her emotions at Jesus, which is mentioned in verse 32. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They're devastated. But notice what Jesus does here. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, this is very important because Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he could have told Mary, Martha, the crowd that had been gathered there, who had been weeping and mourning the death of Lazarus, he could have just simply told them, stop crying. You will see Lazarus rising from the dead. I will bring him back to life. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? He weeps with Mary and Martha and all who had been gathered there. Now, why is this important? And what does this reveal about our Lord and Savior? That he's our great high priest who not only identifies with us, but he shares in our grief and our pain, our sorrow, and our suffering that he is our great high priest who is able to sympathize and empathize with us. He cries with them. As he sees their tears, he enters into their place of sorrow and brokenness. And after identifying himself with them, he shares in their grief and sorrow. Joni Erickson taught in her book, When God Weeps, writes this. Nothing grieves God's heart like the cries of his children. Our cries powerfully move the Almighty. He parts heaven and shakes earth to respond. He reaches down and he takes hold. Jesus is God's embrace, his way of reaching down and taking hold. Jesus is where we encounter him. So he doesn't just dismiss their tears. But he weeps with them, identifies with them, shares in their grief, their sorrow. We have a Savior who is able to empathize with us, sympathize with us. You know, I want us to actually take a moment to think about Lazarus here. I mean, he has been already dead for four days, right? But poor Lazarus, Because he was already in heaven. But Jesus, to make a point, to reveal more of his glory to Mary and Martha and all who had been gathered there and to his disciples, he actually brings him out of heaven, right? And concerning this, uh, Warren Rearsby writes, we see in his tears the tragedy of sin but also the glory of heaven. Perhaps Jesus was weeping for Lazarus as well as with the sisters because he knew that he was calling his friend from heaven And back into a wicked world where he would one day have to die again. Jesus had come down from heaven. He knew what Lazarus was leaving behind. John Piper also comments on this. That is he, Jesus, brought Lazarus from infinite joy back to a life fraught with sin and sickness, stress and frustration. And in the end to face the horrible enemy of death a second time. I mean, imagine Lazarus, he was in heaven, and God brings him out of heaven, back into this broken world, and he has to face death for the second time. Try to put yourself in his situation, right? Poor Lazarus. (laughs) Poor Lazarus, right? But Jesus does this to accomplish two things, right? To reveal his glory, to let everyone know that I am the resurrection and the life. And he does this. To deepen and strengthen the faith of his disciples and the whole world gathered there. Now I want to draw your attention to the Greek word for deeply moved, and this word appears twice in verses thirty-eight and uh, thirty-three and thirty-eight. Now, when Jesus saw them weeping, verse first thirty-three reminds us that he was deeply moved, and when he came. Um, to the tomb of Lazarus, verse 38 tells us that he was deeply moved again. But this word actually means, in Greek, anger, fury, outrage, emotional indignation. So in that sense, Jesus not only experienced grief, but he also experienced anger. And the question is why? Why was Jesus so angry? What made Jesus so angry? What was the object of Jesus' anger? What was Jesus really looking at that made him so angry? Do you know what Jesus was really looking at? The presence of sin and death. Here, Jesus is staring at death itself. And as he sees what sin and death have done to the people that he loves so dearly that makes him angry. Because this is not the world that he has created. And he sees what sin and death have done to his people. And it is devastating. It's caused brokenness. People are weeping and mourning. This is not how he was supposed to be. And when Jesus sees that, He gets angry. Herman Ritterbos writes, Jesus' anger is directed not against unbelief on the part of Mary and those accompanying her, but against that which brought them to this outburst of grief, the death of Lazarus itself. It is not the weeping people, but the tomb that again evokes in Jesus' this intense emotion of aversion and sorrow. Emotion is the revulsion of everything that is in him against the power of death. John Calvin, in commenting on this very verse, he writes, Christ does not come to the tomb as an idle spectator, but like a wrestler preparing for the contest. Therefore, no wonder he groans again for the the violent tyranny of death that he had to overcome stands before his eyes. Staring at death and sin itself makes it But then the raising of Lazarus from the dead, this foreshadows what he will ultimately accomplish on the cross once and for all for broken sinners like you and me. What is that? To defeat sin and death. He will go to the cross, take our place, where he bore our sins past, present, and future, where he became cursed for us, and through his death and resurrection, he has conquered the enemy. He has conquered sin and death once and for all. And, he, and, and that promise is for you and me. And this already foreshadows the cross. And this is why in verse 25 he says, I am the resurrection and the life. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 26, 54 and 57, Apostle Paul Uh, writes about this, what Christ has accomplished for you and me on the cross by dying and and rising to to life on the third day. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What we see Jesus here doing for Mary and Martha and all who had been gathered there, bringing Lazarus back from the dead, already points to the cross, foreshadows what he will accomplish once and for all on the cross. And it is through his death and resurrection and because of our faith in him that we will also share in this new eternal resurrection life. And this does not change, and this is what the gospel promises us. Now, with that in mind, let's jump into our last point, what it guarantees. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Here he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But obviously, um, Mary and Martha and the crowd, they they have no idea what Jesus is up to here. And and notice what uh, uh, Martha says in verse 39, Lord, by this time there will be an order for he has been dead four days. Jesus responds in verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And here, Jesus calls Lazarus, come out. And he comes out. And he tells the people, unbind him and let him go. He here reveals his glory to them by raising him from the dead. And once again, letting everyone know that he is indeed the resurrection uh, and the life. And this is our sneak preview of what is to come. This is a foretaste of what will eventually take place when Christ returns. And we already know, because of the finished work of the cross, this new eternal resurrection life is already ours through faith in Jesus Christ, and nothing can change that. Apostle Paul reminds us of this reality In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 23. And I want us to read this passage together. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain. We We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. But, but for if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. For if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, all, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death... By a man also, has also come uh, the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in, in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, first, Christ the first fruit, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And this is what's guaranteed to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. New eternal resurrection life. This does not change. Now, in Jesus Christ, we see love that has triumphed victoriously over sin and death once and for all. And this is promised not just for Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, but it's also for you and me. Get this. When Jesus died on the cross, death died. And John Owen, um, in one of his books, actually captures this by saying, the death of death in the death of Christ Death died when Jesus died. And if you have put your faith in him, you will have this new eternal resurrection life with him. And even at this moment, because we have been made alive with Christ, because we are living through the spirit that lives in us, we can actually experience this resurrection life even then now as we await what is to come and what is guaranteed for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, in Revelation 20 4 through 5, here Jesus reminds us what is coming, and this is what awaits us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is what awaits us. And this is what is guaranteed to come. Do you yearn for heaven? Do you desire to be with Jesus Christ for all eternity? You know, Apostle Paul, he shares in 1 Corinthians 21, I mean, chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, that for to me, to live his Christ and to die his gain. He desires to depart and go to heaven and be with Christ for all eternity. But he says, for your sake, I stay here so that I can continue to do fruitful labors. You know, when I see how broken and messed up our world is, more and more, I yearn for heaven. I yearn for his second coming. When I see my parents, and when I see Cheyenne's parents, their bodies breaking down, I yearn for heaven. When I see people battling cancer and fighting for their lives desperately, I yearn for heaven to come. When I see children being exploited and sold and trafficked as sexual slaves, I yearn for heaven. I yearn for a second coming. When I see people that I love going through the seasons of pain and suffering where there seem to be no answers, I yearn for heaven. When I see people whose lives are full with pain and suffering, I yearn for heaven. When I see families being torn apart because of sin, I yearn for heaven. When I see relationships being broken because of sin, I yearn for heaven. Why? Because in that place, there's no room for such things. And that's where we are headed. But as long as we are living in this broken world, and as long as we are on this side of heaven, and right now we are living in between the already and not yet. The kingdom is already here, but not yet fully. This is why we continue to experience the effects of sin in our lives and brokenness. We can't change that. But I wanted to encourage you by just reminding you the gospel promises where we are headed and what is guaranteed to come. So in light of that, knowing that because your Lord and Savior is the great high priest who's able to sympathize and empathize with you in whatever you are going through, who happens to be the resurrection and the life, who happens to be the one who has conquered sin and death once and for all. Now knowing that, Let's continue to endure and persevere in faith in the places that God has called us to be. And let us suffer well, knowing that this is where we are headed, knowing what is guaranteed to come, so that when people see us, they will know that that we belong to him, so that we can also point them to the living hope, Jesus Christ himself, so that they too can experience this resurrection life, even here and now, as they continue to go through seasons of pain, sorrow, and brokenness so that together we can yearn for heaven together and look forward to his second coming because on that day there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. And on that day we will be able to spend eternity with him in his presence and there's going to be nothing better than that let us pray Father we uh, thank you so much for the cross thank you that you are the resurrection and the life You are the one who has conquered sin and death once and for all on our behalf. And thank you that in Jesus Christ, through our faith in him, that we have been given new eternal resurrection life. Father, as we continue to live in this broken world, no matter what comes our way, may we not forget what it is that we have been given in Jesus Christ. That as we continue to live in this between already and not yet stage, Lord, And as we continue to experience pain and suffering, may we not lose hope. May we continue to look to you, for you are the resurrection and the life. I pray for the ones who are going through seasons of pain and suffering. Father, would you meet them where they are and help them to to know and to be able to see and believe that that you are the great high priest who is able to identify with us and, and share in our grief and sorrow that you are the great, great high priest who is able to sympathize and empathize with us. But thank you that a day is coming where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more mourning, no more death, for you are making all things new. But until that day comes, may we continue to live faithfully, enduring whatever that comes our way by looking to you, by trusting you, by clinging to you, Lord. Father, we long for your second coming, and we do long for heaven. But until that comes, would you help us to, to be your faithful witnesses? Thank you. In Christ. Let me pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship God as we give our tithes and offerings. Uh, if you're visiting us for the first time, uh, please do not feel obligated to give.